quite a bit slash have you repeat that's uh, all good so yeah your week been oh you know well you know since we're getting to the start of the show instead of just the inane chatter about how's the week been how are the kids are uh we're both movie guys yeah yeah what do you want to talk about ray Liotta? yeah it's uh sad he's uh i mean it's weird He's probably been in more stinkers than good ones, but the good ones he's been in are iconic. Yeah. Like, like Goodfellas. Um, uh, fuck. Is that Field of Dreams? My, got a head rush from my cigar. Yeah, Field of Dreams. Uh, he was good as, uh, it was not many people saw it, but he was good as the mayor in the movie Battle in Seattle. I heard um, he was, I, and this is a movie you had growing up I'd never seen. But I heard it is like one of the best Ray Liotta performances of all time. Is Narc? Yeah, he was. Yeah, fuck, I forgot about that one. I did yeah. see. I I had that. I think I still have it somewhere in my collection. He was good at that. So well, it's one of those things. He's he's a good enough actor that even in a in a bad movie, he could usually like be good in it. You know what I mean? Well, Liotta is a. He's one of those guys, who you forget was in. A movie uh sometimes yeah. because he's in so many in so many small like kind of pivotal roles like um i just watched uh one of those watch mojo lists before we start up the podcast uh, about his 10 greatest performances and at number 10 they had um a place beyond the pines right I which i thought too was an excellent movie and criminally yeah. underrated like everyone's like oh we learned that bradley cooper could act when we saw silver lines playbook nah i knew he could act when i saw this one yeah. Well, did this come up before or just after Silver Linings? Um, I don't want picture in picture. Get that out of here. Uh, let's see. Silver Linings was 2010. I think Place Beyond the Pine. Or no. I don't know, actually. Let's give quite a look. I mean, we do have smartphones. We can quickly Google that. But I got I got the baby monitor on my one smartphone. So, and I've got all my notes for these albums on my one smartphone. So I'm I'm indisposed for looking up information. Uh, I feel like the older olden days, Brian. We'll argue about something, and we'll both be incredibly wrong. <laughs> well, let me just quickly Google it. Uh, Ray Leo, not Ray Donovan. Ray Liotta. Oh, he would have been a good fit for that show. That's true. I was playing mob guys and heavies. Yeah. Um, he was funny in uh, The League. He was in one episode of The League. Did you ever see that? 
Uh, no, I, I I looked up his IMDb today. I said I played Ruxin's boss. Yeah, and uh, but he's like he's a really he's like a Brandon. He's a real germaphobe, and uh, yeah. Ruxin Ruxin got a cold, and uh, but he's also like the head guy, so we wanted to impress him. So yeah. he faked being being allergic to bees. So he's out on the golf course and he starts sneezing again. So he thinks he's having a bee attack. So he stabs him with an epipen. <laughs> Uh, uh, he was great. You know, he's getting was uh, observe and report with Seth Rogen. Yeah, I never he saw played... the full thing. Oh man, you know what? That movie. Everyone was like, "Oh, it's just a rip off of Paul Blart." I'm like, I think it's like a rip off of Taxi Driver. Like yeah. how messed up Seth Rogen is in that movie. But Let's see, Place Beyond the Pines is 2012. Silver Linings is where the fuck is it? I feel like it's around the same time. It might have been like 2014. Oh, okay. So never mind. Bradley Cooper was big first in uh, Silver Linings. But anyway, uh, getting back to Ray Liotta. Uh, yeah, Observer Report is really funny because he's this cop and Rogan wants to join the police force and he just hates him so much. Like, every fiber of his being, he hates that Rogan. And there's a scene where he's like telling him that he failed the police test and this guy walks out of a closet and he's like, he may be hiding here. He told me this is going to be funny. It's, it's just sad. <laughs> and then there's like a scene where he's having sex with Anna Faris, Ray Liotta, but he's doing that Ray, that Ray Liotta face like, Yee! the entire time, like when he's beating the guy up with a gun and uh, Goodfellas. And uh, Jesus, forget about that intense face. He's the kind of guy that if he smiled at you, you'd think he was angry at you. <laughs> That's true. He's got that sneer. He's got that sneer. Also, your picture's been frozen for the last, like, minute. Tell me it's in a good spot. You're like, can you see my picture okay? Yeah, you're coming in fine. You're like this. You're like... <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, but, yes, uh, R.I.P. Ray Liotta. You know, I put him up there with the likes of... Martin Sheen, Donald Sutherland, Kevin Bacon. What do those guys have in common? John Goodman? Um, character actors? But they They're character also actors. Be... They got a big thing in common. Uh... Those five guys in particular. Say them again. John Goodman, Donald Sutherland. Martin Sheen, Kevin Bacon. And there's other guys, too, like Bill Paxton you could throw in there. Um, what do they have in common? they take on any role? No. Well, they do. None of them have ever been nominated for an Oscar. Really? Yeah. Alan Rickman. There's another one who's the past who's never been nominated for an Oscar. He's a great actor. Martin Sheen didn't even get one for Departed. Eh? Everyone in their friggin' grandfather got one for Departed. Wow. Vera Farmiga did. And Mark Wahlberg did. And that was it. Well, Scorsese did, and he won. And Scorsese, the movie won Best Picture, but yeah. uh, between Damon DiCaprio and Nicholson, um, just because they, they figured they'd all be each other's competition, none of them campaigned. So because right. the Academy needs to have their hand held to figure out who's going to be nominated, Wahlberg was the only one that campaigned. And Vera Farmina, there was no other major female actress in that movie. So they gave it to her because she's like, oh, she's, you know, best female actress. She's the best actress in the best movie, right? Right. And so she got a nomination because of that. But as far as the male performances go, Wahlberg was the only one that campaigned because the rest of the guys were all up for lead actor and he was solidly in supporting actor. 
So he right. got a nomination, his only nomination, because of uh, them not campaigning. Campaigning. I don't know why it, you haven't snapped back as to like a live picture yet. It's actually pissing me off. Well, relax. Relax. This is supposed to be an easy two album cross it off your list podcast here. No need for the blown gasket, Charlie. I know. Yeah. And speaking of this, why don't you why don't you run us through this little introduction you prepared? All right. With cigar in or cigar out? Uh with, with a cigar out. Fine. Be a killjoy. All right. <laughs> well, I want to understand what you're saying. I know. <laughs> um, all right. I'm going to try to do my best, Teddy. Welcome to Canada FM, the show where we do a deep dive on Canada's favorite bands. As Well, this is not a... I've already lost the plot. This is not one of Canada's favorite bands. Um, the show where we do a deep dive in some of Canadians' uh, forgotten bands. I got nothing. A show where you know what... If you're following this far, you know what we do. We follow, we look as at, if, you know, don't try to be the great Ted Jessup. You know, people have tried... Shut up. You know, they haven't succeeded. Try to be the best Brian Last you can be. Well, if I were to do the impression that you guys have for me, like, oh, welcome to Canada FM, the show where we do dive into Canadian bands. Um, but yes, uh, sometimes it's a shallow pool, and it's not so much of a deep dive as it is a gentle hop in. I'm Brian. I'm dead. Shut the fuck up. Um... <laughs> And I am the captain of this vessel today. While Ted works on his Biff Naked script, I jump beside, uh, behind the wheel, and I'm driving this ship. And that's not um, a pornog- pornographic movie that I'm writing. It's a tribute to the great artist Biff Naked. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So let's leave the hustle and bustle of Toronto, a.k.a. the Big Smoke, a.k.a. the Six, to the not-so-quiet suburbs of Ajax, home to former NHLer, Jeff Bookaboom, do you remember him? There's a drop. I remember the name Bookaboom. Uh, who did he yeah. play? Was he, was he with the Rangers? I think so, and I think he played. It? I think he played with the Sharks. Let me double check here. I want to say Sharks or Edmonton. I remember you know, he's got nothing to do with the topic at hand. It was just a nice little reference you threw in there. It was a it was a hilarious name, and uh, I figured, see, if I didn't send you the script and I dropped the Jeff Bookaboom, you'd be like, "What a random reference that is!" But yeah, I, I would have remembered Jeff Bookaboom because that was uh, he he played back when you know I actually followed hockey pretty close. Yeah, let me see. You're right. He uh, he did play with the Rangers. Look That's at you. Why I remember he played for the Rangers back when I watched because the Rangers I was, had everybody back then. And I was right. He did play for Edmonton, but not the Sharks. Just those two teams, Edmonton okay. and uh, and New York. All right, so home of Jeff Bookaboom, Canadian Idol fin- finalist Toya Alexis, hip-hop producer Boy Wanda, who's produced for Kendrick, Drake, and Eminem, Brendan Canning of Broken Social Scene, the John Stones, the ska band. Could be uh, another subject of uh, Canada FM one day. Yeah, I think so. Uh, the big standout of the John Stones is Ryan Long, who's had a pretty successful comedy career as of late. Uh, well, you successful- know what? There's an idea. You love the stand-up comedians, especially ones yeah. that do podcasts like him. Why don't you call him up? See if we'll do a little interview. I have a feeling he probably won't, but you never know. Yeah, you never know. You bigger thing. Um, let's see. Where did I leave off? Uh, and of course, the 
famous pop punkers, probably the biggest ones that come out of Ajax, some 41. So music has woven into the fabric of Ajax. And today's band falls in line with some 41. They are not by choice. And they are the inaugural band I'm referring to as the Short Stack Sessions. As we only have two albums, we're going to make a quick little... Quick uh, to quote Ham the Babe Porter. We're gonna make it a quick one because we gotta get in for dinner. I know, <laughs> I it's, lunch, lunch. <laughs> I know it's it's nine o'clock right now, so that's why I said dinner. Uh, I like. I don't know where I be- became such a fan of Short Stack. Um, I remember when I was in college, there was this guy who used to hang out with a pub nights. And he insisted everyone call him Small Fry, but I forget it every night, and I call him Short Stack. And he's like, <laughs> oh, "I should have called him Short Stack. That's a lot better. <laughs> like it's way better." Short stack. Oh, I think it's from that Simpsons episode where they climb. Uh, Homer has to climb the murder horn. Oh right, and, they just uh, open up the, the, the dead body, stack. and they're all short stacks. Yeah, even those short stack pancakes. All right, so we'll make a quick jaunt through their history. So let's go back to the early two thousands. Get your best audio, your Quicksilver, your toy machine, your spiky belt, your wristband, your wallet chain from Hot Topic, and let's go. And if yeah. you're a girl, a necktie. Yeah. Ugh, fucking necktie. That Avril Lavigne is the bane of my existence. So <laughs> grade still. eleven grade eleven and twelve, right? You remember occasionally I'd wear I'd wear the full ska suit, right? The ska uni, the two tone yeah. thing. Sometimes it was just the the white like a nice white dress shirt, slacks and a tie. I didn't usually wear the full dress shirt because people think I was going to a funeral. But uh so I, I usually tried to do my best uh ska look and all these little fuck faces at our high school would be like well uh, half of them would think i was on a sports team which i'm flattered because none of my friends thought i was athletic enough to be on a sports team but everyone Some else of the kids like, who were on sports teams you'd be offended that you were wearing a tie <laughs> yeah. no, we didn't have the you, schedule you didn't know yeah and uh other people thought it's like, hey, Brian, what'd you do? Take a left turn in your dad's closet? Hey. Like, uh, other people thought I was trying to rip off Avril. And I'm like, no, I've been ripping off the ska, the, the ska two-tone look that has been around since the 80s, you dumb fuck. You know, the, she, oh. she 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 got a lot of girls were pissed off when she started rocking that tie. Because I know, really? uh, yeah, like like my wife is actually an Avril Lavigne fan. She likes Avril Lavigne. But way before she the complicated video, she'd wear a tie. And I know Brent told me his sister, who hated Avril Lavigne. Yeah, she was a metalhead. Before um, Avril started up. So, like, a lot of girls rock the tie as, like, a kind of a rock and roll look. But, um, yeah, she kind of hijacked it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one day. So, so Ted, we have you and I have one encounter with Not By Choice. Let's hear your recall of that night. Well, my recollection was we went to go see Pennywise. Um. Now, if you don't know punk rock, Pennywise, for people like me who like more skate punk and maybe a little more melodic punk, Pennywise is probably as hard as we I would go. Yeah. Um, not into like the real hardcore stuff. Now, hardcore punk rock guys, on the reverse end, Pennywise was probably about as soft as they would go. Yeah. So you gotta imagine this crowd is that it's 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 diverse in tastes in terms of the punk rock that they like. But they're there to see some real deal punk rock. And it was interesting that their two opening acts were Canadian bands. It's something that we've both learned through doing this. Is it must have been a very small tour that Pennywise was doing. 
uh, to only have local acts open up for them. Or because they were in Canada, whatever band that was opening for them on their tour in the States uh, had issues getting across the border. Yeah, either oh, that or it's, or it's like usually a lot of these bands, like they'll usually hit the, the ones that would come to like the Midwestern Canada, like Edmonton, Calgary, uh, Winnipeg usually they'd kind of do it in a dip up from like the like the american prairies like if they'd have a show in like north dakota then they'd come up to canada to like whatever the closest city was there Mm -hmm. or like you know what i mean if they were in a border state then they'd come up but usually they do an east coast leg and toronto and montreal were always on it so they usually try to get a canadian band on that leg and just like whoever their opener was before They'd say no. We'll we'll take someone local for this. You you don't have to do it. Just because it just makes so many people. It's just easier all around. Yeah. The other uh, thing that everyone has to remember going into the show when you're in the, a mood for real punk rock, right? Um, this was in the time where the pop punk genre was starting to become very 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 oversaturated, and oh, yeah. people like Brian and myself and our group of friends. Uh, while we liked some of it, because I remember we really, really liked Blink-182 for a very long time. And then they just kind of became the poster boys for this new genre that, you know, I remember going to school. And I won't name who it was because they uh, they don't deserve to be dragged through the mud. And this is nothing against their character. But they were someone. Tell me who it is right now. And I'll, I'll edit this part out. I'll just. To say it is, and then I'll cut it out. Oh, it was, it was uh, it was Kyle Watts. He's a good oh, guy. Okay. I don't want to drag yeah, him. Yeah. Um, what's it called? Um, but this guy never thumbed his nose at any punk rock or anything underground. Hockey player, and um, he was rocking a Simple Plan shirt one day. I think he went over to Kyle and Nate. They were wearing like a No Effects or something like. Oh, never heard of them. They're punk. I better start listening to them. And they were just mad. <laughs> mad by this assertion you know what i mean like it, it it wasn't it was overexposed and it once the jocks started listening to it with people writing songs about getting bullied by um not that this guy was a bully or anything like that because even though his name's not the podcast um it just wasn't it, it, it just felt like we were losing our genre do you know what i mean right. like really punk rock the 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 the, the, the type of people uh, who are supposed to be very outgoing and, and liberal and accepting, were incredibly conservative when it oh, came to outsiders listening to their music. They were, yeah, for the for the the fan base that's supposed to be the most accepting, they were the most closed-minded, uh, the most like snooty, the the quickest to like turn your back if it didn't fit into a certain box. Yeah, gatekeepers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Gatekeepers Except for ska people. people, we we liked everything. Oh yeah. Except for when people shit Except on Scott. Pop punk. Yeah, and those are shit on Scott. Um, so anyway, so that, that's the other thing you have to remember, too. So the first yeah. band that goes up is Jersey from Burlington, Ontario. And Brian's going to mention them again later in the script. And they were great. I thought they put on a great show. They had the crowd's respect. Um, yeah. Lots of energy. Um, we'll probably have to do one of these short stacks on them, too. As I'm trying to think of other bands I want to cover. Um, but, uh, so they went up first and it was great. Shows off to a rocket start. So then not by choice comes on and, you know, they're just, they look like your average punk rock band, spiked up hair, um, black shirts, black pants, spiky belts. Like you said, 
you know, not really expecting anything too out of the ordinary. And then they start playing, and it is the second they got to the chorus of their first song, they lost the crowd, and they were mad. How dare these guys open for Pennywise? How dare? Because that's the other thing that messes with your psyche, too. Um, Back then, if you were to go to a show and you knew, let's just say you were going to go see... Um, a band like no use for a name okay a band with a lot of good punk rock credibility right but you looked at the bill and you saw that like um say simple plan just to keep it simple sure. was going to be opening for no use for a name like you had we had such fragile minds that you'd show up late hoping to miss all of simple plans set so you can almost have the street cred going yeah yeah it didn't show up for them didn't bother seeing them. You almost yeah. felt like it, it took your credibility away as a punk rocker, having to even just sit politely and listen to pop punk. So the crowd just turned on them like you wouldn't believe. And they're throwing bottles and they're giving them the middle finger and they're chanting, this sucks, this sucks, whenever they get a chant. Every, every time a song ends, they're chanting shit at them. So the lead singer, I think, tried to win them over by going all right all right i can tell you guys got a lot of aggression you want to get out tonight we're gonna play for the next 60 seconds get it all out throw whatever you want at us they play for 60 seconds and everyone's throwing shit right they're throwing their water bottles they're throwing beer cans they're throwing i don't know kleenex they had in their pocket whatever will travel <laughs> balled up bits of paper so that ends and they go into another pop buck song i think he had kind of hoped that they actually would throw everything. What he didn't realize is punk rock people are uh, resourceful. They'll find different <laughs> shit to throw because they kept getting pelted with stuff the entire performance. And yeah, it wasn't very good. Um, yeah. The performance ended. Pennywise came on. They put on a great show. And Jim Lindbergh is doing the respectful thing, especially if they're in a pinch for opening acts that yeah. most punk rock bands do or most any band does. Give it up for our opening acts. You know, all right, guys, make some noise for Jersey. Weren't they awesome? Ah, Jersey was awesome. Right. All right. And then he goes, and uh, make some noise from not by choice. Boom. <laughs> He's like, come on, guys. They were good. They came out here and performed for you. Boom. <laughs> Even Jim Lindbergh, punk rock legend, yeah. couldn't, uh, couldn't win the crowd back. So yeah. that was a tough night for those guys. And I'm not going to lie, when you brought up the idea of doing an episode on Not By Choice, I had kind of hoped that my adult senses would realize that maybe I was just a shade, shade too hard on them. Um, yeah, I, I understand where you're coming from. And I was thinking the same thing. And I, I honestly, like, I mean, we would we would shit on him a bit here and there and say not my choice, but we weren't throwing shit. I think we were respectful enough. Like we gave a half hearted like, yeah, you know what I mean? We were like, hey. But uh, I mean, yeah, I remember. I don't remember the the minute of just like uh, aggression, but I do remember the a water bottle just went sailing right by the lead singer's head and just like splashed right off one of the drum cymbals. Oh wow! So, I remember that. Well, you had a way better view. You were way up in front. I was in the back uh, during the opening acts. Right. I was sitting there, yeah, with I Kyle and Nathan, but they put in their earplugs. <laughs> 
you know, it's funny. I made I I made fun of those guys for that uh, a couple weeks back. My first concert back post Pandy was this band from Sweden called the Viagra Boys. Very good. Uh, I had never heard them before. Miles offered me a ticket. Uh, I recommend it. They're just like this weird, fun kind of quirky band. They're just yeah. like a kind of they're like a hives, but they have like a random saxophonist. That's pretty cool. Yeah, you know, oh, you, you should you should have let off with that when you were describing this band to me a few weeks ago. I, when I first uh, told you I was seeing them, I didn't realize that they had a saxophone player. Yeah, you said it was very hives issue, but you didn't mention they had a sax player. I would have been in. Yeah, because uh, we were talking. I forget what episode we were mentioning. It might have been Philosopher Kings. But uh, when we were talking about uh, when we were playing horns back in the day with band, like I wish we had thought of uh, you doing with some of these bands like Cake and now the Viagra Boys and a few other like Bruce, obviously with the horn, with the sax, just utilizing horn and rock, not having to be yeah. a ska or a swing band. But oh well, I in really another life. Well, I wanted to do a horn section because you know, as far as being a sax player goes, I wasn't that good. <laughs> and I wanted some other players to, you know, maybe take some of the pressure off me as just being the lone horn in the band. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think honestly, I wasn't a great trombone player either, but I think I was a better trombone player than I was a guitar player. Because with the guitar, all I could play is that Archie Bell style, like, ding, 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 And then, little did you know, you were walking upon territory that um, Gang of Four had uh, invented. I know. Years later. Yeah. yeah I know. Years I earlier. Even... Sorry. Years earlier. I, I didn't even realize like that one night we were jamming at Brent's place in Caledonia and I was kind of doing that. You're like, Oh, I love this surf rock stuff that you're doing. And I'm just like, kind of like, I had never listened to gang of four. I had listened to a bit of the jam at that point, And I listened to like the fix and stuff like that. But I didn't even realize that was all like done well before me. <laughs> yeah. But uh, uh, what's it called? Oh, and then one more thing I wanted to bring up in our preamble about not by choice. Sure. Uh, that line you just used, not my choice. You were the first person I heard saying that. Now, granted, it's <laughs> not that big a stretch of an insult. But I remember sure. right after you started calling them not my choice and me and you started doing it, this commercial came out. And I think it's for like TD Bank. I think they were giving out a little bit of like an alt rock like CD. Okay. To people, they switched out a, 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 out a thing. And the, the commercial was two old men sitting on a bench. And they're complaining about music kids listen to today. And uh, first the old man goes, uh, not by choice. The next one goes, not my choice. And they go, Matthew, good band. Hey, what's so good about him? And the guy goes, Sam Roberts. He's like, isn't he your butcher? No, I do remember that. Now that yeah. you bring that up. <laughs> that was good. It was a good commercial. Yeah. You know, how, how funny would that be? I don't know when I first said not my choice, but how funny would that be if I made the joke at the concert hall and like a guy who worked on that commercial was just like within earshot. He's like, that's gold. Steal that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Put a whole marketing campaign behind it. You know, do you know what's funny? Just the one quick memory about Pennywise before we move on, like the yeah. that concert. Just to show you how things have changed, not just in uh concerts in general, but nightclubs and everything. Like so I lasted about three to four songs that the first like three Pennywise songs where they really brought the heat. I got sucked into the front of the mosh pit. I was just getting tossed around i could not get my legs i i was not i was not so much like moshing with people as i was basically just get like spun around in a circle like i was laundry you know what i mean yeah. i was just like just getting thrown around for a guy my size. You, like ah, he's a big guy you can take it yeah well i remember actually before that there was a girl standing next to me who's like you're not gonna hurt me are you 
and I'm like, I'm like thinking, I'm like, I have no control over this. Have you ever, not, have you ever, <laughs> like, you would be like, of course not. This is no control. This is Santa. I'm like, have you ever been to a punk rock show, lady? You got no, like, you got no say in what goes on unless you're the one standing your ground, elbowing people, throwing bows. You just get sucked into the riptide. Um, but yeah, that was funny. But oh, uh, yeah, I so also, I also remember that show too. Uh, I just remember the drive home was the ride home was kind of miserable because we took the go, and it got really cold. We we're drenched in sweat. Yeah, because it was spring still. Yeah. yeah, and it was just really cold. And I remember the go train like broke down. We had to like walk the rest of the way to the station. Do you remember that? No, I remember us having because I think we got. Uh, I think your dad was going to pick us up at like Burlington Go, and I think we like didn't realize it, and we stayed on till Aldershot. So I think we almost had to like bus back or something like that. Oh, I forget what it was. It was something like okay. that. Uh, but yeah, I remember yeah. waiting out in the cold for that. But um, yeah. so anyway, the first so, time got the station drop off point wrong. <laughs> <I know. laughs> um, but anyway, so. I lasted like four songs and then do you remember at the old cool house where like there was the stage and then you went around the corner and like there's the hallway of like where all the merch stands were and everything but it was like I literally just flopped on the ground I was like sitting there like sweating just panting I was like I was so exhausted I was just sitting on the floor and like security walked past me like 10 times they saw I was alive they saw I clearly wasn't hurt but like they didn't kick me out. They didn't think I was drinking. No one hassled me. Whereas now, like, if even if you're just sleepy or you're tired, if you even remotely, like, do anything like that at a show, they'll be like, get the fuck out. You're drunk. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, your age has a lot to do with that, too. Yeah, that's if true. You're, but if me, you're 16 like, years old. Yeah. And you look like you're 16, even though you're tall. Uh, yeah. You know. Anyway. Uh so Brian, walk me through some of this now, but let, let's walk through this band that we've hyped up All so right. much. Can you give us hit me with some of their history? All right. So the band consists of originally it consists of Mike Billcox on vocals guitar, Glenn Chico Dunning, who's basically the Derek Wibbley substitute, the foot face with the uh, dark hair. <laughs> um, I was gonna say he kind of looks like if Benedict Cumberbatch got that treatment from a clockwork orange where they stick the hooks in your eyes <laughs> and your mouth. Like see his case is nose too. That's what he kind of looked like. Almost like a bat. <laughs> Not one of those cute I, bats either. One of those scary bats. COVID bat. Um anyway, uh AJ Bovard or Bovard on bass and Brian Strong on drums. Mike and Chico met in high school. They took up uh, instruments jamming out on Green Day and Nirvana in Mike's basement around 1995, uh, adding AJ shortly after because they all went to high school together, so they they recruited him. Uh, They started to perform regularly at the Chameleon Cafe in Ajax. And uh, I read a couple articles about, like, that music scene because around the time that they started to pop off and Sum 41 popped off, um... I guess this uh, Chameleon Cafe, because Ajax is home to, at the time, in the early 2000s, it was like 75,000 people. So okay. uh, this was kind of like going down to Hess Village and like going to like a Casbah. It was like a place to be kind of thing. And okay. uh, so I guess a lot of bands in their kind of circle around the Toronto suburbs, according to Greg Norrie, this was like a legendary spot to be. And that's where if you really want to test your metal 
as a band, that's where you would kind of go. Um, and so not by choice was winning fans over at this place. They were became a regularly, a uh, regular performer, um, at this chameleon cafe. Uh, they, they started out trying to be more of a harder punk band uh, around 97. Um, and in 97, they left their little cocoon of Ajax and started uh, performing around with their pals, some 41. Uh, and so they, they, they toured with Jersey, who obviously we mentioned earlier. Uh, so they, they, they probably the they were talking about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, uh, no, this is before because that was okay. Pennywise. Came, Pennywise came in like oh one oh two roughly, okay. uh, and uh, this was in like the late nineties. So they these guys have all been friends for years. Uh, so I guess they were probably doing like a loop of the Golden Horseshoe. Is my guess they uh, probably played around the Toronto, Burlington, Hamilton, and then like shut back maybe north of Toronto. Uh, but and they had a great summer in ninety eight. Because they were still in school at this time, but so by '98 they broke up. But Mike and Chico soldiered on, retooling their sound a bit, trying to do focus more on like a pop punk sound. Because I guess maybe that was the uh, you know the success of Blink. I'm speculating, but maybe that's what maybe they're like. Well, we gotta that's what we're selling. Yeah, yeah. You want to be on Green... much music and get heavy rotation? You pop it up. Yeah, Green Day uh, was kind of between, uh, or not Kerplunk, they were between Insomniac and Warning by this point. No, sorry, Nimrod. They would have just put out Nimrod by this point. So uh, Green Day was kind of laying into more of a softer sound. So it was selling. So it makes sense that they wanted to do that. Um, They still love Nimrod, though. That's a great album. Oh, it's so good. Um, Brian Strong left, and they added Liam uh, Kyleen, Keeling. K I L L E E N. I'd say Colleen. 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 There you go. That, that makes more sense. 2000, they made a self released EP, five songs. They released it September 1st, 2000. Uh, it served as a door opener for them. They played on the Montreal and Toronto Warp Tour in 2001, which we might have actually like seen them then because we were at they that one. Been a side the, stage. No, sorry. Yeah, we were at the <clears> one at Sky, Skydome. We were there. So, Skydome. So they um, probably would have been there, but they probably would have been side stage. Right, and they probably would have I mean, played very early on in the day where we might not have paid attention. You know, I'll, um, I'll mention this, though, but the side stage of that 2001 Warp Tour, that was indeed the one in, and yeah, it was. It was the one at Skydome. Yeah. Um, that was the first time I ever made an attempt to skank, was watching the Planet Smashers. Yeah. So all these other people do it. Like, how hard could it be? But uh, it takes some practice. It's taken me years of practice to effectively be able to skank. Yeah. I, uh... I, I was starting to skank and I almost got kicked in the face by this tall, gangly Dutch looking guy. So I stopped. <laughs> and it was funny too, because you'd see these people who like, you know, there's people there with leather jackets and mohawks and stuff like that. And then there's also people who are just dressed like any other person you'd see in the street. Yeah. But then you'd see them at Planet Smashers and you're like, okay, you're a Scott person because they're skanking. Yeah. Their <laughs> plus yeah this the skanking is super hard because uh you got to get within the groove you got to bounce sometimes yeah. like you when you try doing it looks like you're trying to do the bloody can can well i've got i've got you, the, doing, it's you, a, you, you the were doing is, like the russian kicks you're doing like the yeah. <laughs> but what I, it's a bounce and a rhythm you got to get into i'm still trying to teach uh, my wife how to skank because she's trying to get she wants to learn how to do it she sees me doing it i'm like the almost there you're just you got to find that rhythm. And then once you find the rhythm, it's like finding your balance on a bicycle. 
once you find it, yeah. you, you find it forever. And once yeah, you find like, your rhythm when you're skanking, you find it forever. Yeah, like my knees are shit. And like, because I've had a couple of uh, little injuries throughout the pandemic, just random like uh, thing with a tendon in the back of my knee. I could stand up right now and still skank just because it's like, it's yeah. like, you're right. It's like riding a bike. Once you know how to do it, you never lose it. I mean, it would be, I'm sure people will find it hilarious to watch a six, eight Husky fella skank, but I'm not doing it right now. Um, <laughs> anyway, moving soldiering through. Uh, so yeah, this, uh, this also got them more attention in the industry as it allowed them to open for more established acts. I couldn't find any specific tour schedules or anything, but like we did mention, it got them the Pennywise gig where we saw them. Uh, and then a year later they signed May 5th, 2002, they signed with Linus records, um, who has hosted such bands such as, uh, show core by the, oh, Brian, right. Brian, you, you, you can't keep going. You got to play the clip of show core. Um, and let's see by divine right and the uh, legendary ron sexsmith i like him he's very good uh actually linus records later on they actually took over true north records which uh was based out in waterdown not far from oh, us okay. and uh, like that was the label that's basically put out almost everything bruce coburn's ever done it's kind of funny uh, there's a record label based out of Waterdown. It's so small. I know. It's probably run out of someone's house. I actually know a guy, uh, Mike Mitchell. He was an intern for them once uh, when he was doing, like, getting into, like, I think it was PR, communications, or so something sales-related he started there. Um, anyway, September 3rd. So they signed May 5th. September 3rd, they crank out their first album. Uh, maybe One Day. It was produced by John Wynott. What a name. John Wynott. Now we definitely work? covered this guy when he did when we did our uh, uh, Blue Rodeo episode. Yeah, you want to work yeah. with not by choice? Why not? Um, <laughs> I like that. We didn't do that pun when we did that episode, but uh, that uh, so uh, John Wynott's work with Big Rec, Lorena McKinnon's, uh, Colin James, Blue Rodeo, like Ted just mentioned, Bruce Coburn, Lucindia Williams, and he mixed scores for Austin Powers two, and even won an Academy Award for. Uh, I don't know if he was part of the sound design or what exactly it was, but it was in, it was a Academy Award for sound in 1993's Last of the Mohicans. Um, maybe One Day debuted at number 47 on the Canadian oh, yeah, I album. Maybe Someday. Sorry, maybe. Let me double check. I wrote Maybe One Day. And I wrote yeah, written maybe in a bunch Someday of in my notes. Uh, let me see here. Way to derail it, Ted. No, it's maybe one day. I was right. Well, I'm a... You're a maroon. Show, shows you what I thought of this album. You're a maroon. Um, <laughs> so it debuted on 47 uh, on the Canadian album charts, and by year's end, it was on the... It, it ranked 147 on the Canadian alternative album charts, according to Nielsen Sca uh, Sound Scan, with two singles, uh, Standing All Alone... Which got to 11 on the Much Music Countdown, and Now That You're Leaving, which got to number four. Now that you are leaving, now that you are leaving. Uh, 
uh, standing all. Go ahead. Standing All Alone was also the opening theme song to a Canadian TV show called 15 Love that ran from 04 to 06. Uh, and it was also featured on Big Shiny Tunes 7. And Now That You're Leaving was on Big Shiny Tunes 8. One album spanned two years on Big Shiny Tunes for these friggin' dinks. How the Which hell is, is that crazy Because I, I like Obviously, I remember Standing All Alone. I have no yeah. memory of Now That You're Leaving, even when I listened to the album back. Actually, I have more memories of now that you are leaving because I remember the video. The video uh, was always played on Much Music because they did that becoming. That was like the the the. the oh, it was the uh, theme song to becoming. No, no, they, that was their whole video. Was they uh, they 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 basically played like doofus versions of themselves, and they're like they flipped them into like not by choice. They're like we're going to teach you to be oh. not by choice. So they got all this. That was the whole video. They got merch and like they're with these hot girls in a limo and all this stuff. And uh, okay. that was the that was the motivation when you and I did <laughs> our, our becoming <laughs> in high school, where we turned you into J Lo. Now that was a fun video. Unfortunately, yeah. the uh, audio never worked, and we had to narrate it in <laughs> class as it was playing. And I, I, I think the audio was fine. I'm blaming Cam and Eddie. He, he fucked something up. No, I blame sabotage us. How the hell did you and I put out a quality product? Jake got Jake's audio didn't even fucking work, and he got a better grade than we we did because you and me showed up to class to make each other laugh. <laughs> That's why. And I'm not gonna say Cam and Eddie hates joy. <laughs> I think he hates it when you and me are experiencing joy, and Park Hill would come there to work. Okay. Tell- Tell that's our why fine. he was really trying to separate us, too. Do you remember? Like, we had that yeah. choice to do, like, half of the semester. Now, this is our – okay. In ComTech and Ancaster High, when you get into third year, um, me and Brian were in each other's group for every single project that we got to pick our groups for. Yeah. So, in um, – what's it called? Third year, you get to decide. Do you want to do uh, two films or do you want to do a, a half a year TV and half a year film? So – I, you'd want to do two films, and I was going to do two films with you. And on the day we have to decide, Cam and Eddie keeps going, really, Ted? You want to do that? <laughs> I'm like, well, what do you mean? And he, I, you know, I'm the easiest to read person. Like, um, it's 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 no wonder I haven't been bilked out of house and home by somebody. Um, <laughs> because he was just like, well, you almost you're... were with that house guest last year. <laughs> he was fine. Um but no, what's it called? He was like, uh, oh, I think you're uh, a natural at television. I'm like, really? He's like, oh, you're so good. You're the best of the class. You want to go do TV? You want to do two films? Uh, if you're doing television, if I were you. And then, like, right there in the classroom, I can feel you like, son of a bitch, Cameron, he's trying to swing to it. <laughs> like, all right, I'll do half a semester of television. <laughs> he's like, yeah, good choice, Dad. He just wanted to break us up. <laughs> yeah, he did hate choice. Remember in grade 12? <laughs> or- Remember in grade 12 when I turned in that hilarious script that actually made him laugh and he censored me. <laughs> he's like, yeah, he's like, this is no good. This is no good. And he's like, ah, this is no good. I'm like, yeah, you, laugh. I'm like you can't say that. I'm like, ah, come on. Censor me. Um, oh, that's too funny. Anyway, so a lot. Um, so. That year at the Casby Awards, I forget what the, it stands for. It's like uh, Canadian Artists uh, Chosen I by it's You. It's usually presented by Edge 102. 
Yeah, it's like Canadian artists selected by you. That's what it stands for. That's what it is. Uh, so they opened the set, and actually Biff Naked performed on that set along with a few other people. So there, oh, you there go. we go. We'll mention that in the Biff Naked episode. Uh, they they took home some hardware. Uh, they they won the was it the North favorite by North new indie release. Yeah, North by Northeast favorite new indie release for uh, maybe one day some of the other winners that year the rio statics won lifetime achievement award gravity by our lady's peace won favorite uh new album simple plan i'm just a kid was favorite video uh trouble chargers 100 million was favorite new single and favorite new artist was sam roberts so there you go, there you go. uh they also earned an mmba much music video award for best independent video for now that you're leaving so early success for these boys Ted, what are your thoughts on uh, this album? Actually, hold on. Before we get into that, uh, just one last thing. We've talked about before with other with Canadians having success success in Pacific countries like the Moffats. These guys are no exception. Maybe one day sold twenty five thousand copies in Japan. The Japanese really just like getting their hands on anything that's not domestic. They'll just hitch their wagon to anything. (laughs) Um, But I like. But Japan has very specific tastes. That's true. And um, even not the, every that band w- that's a success in North America is a success in Japan. Like That's true. Weird artists. Like, do you remember Mr. Big? I'm the one that wants to be with you. Oh, come on. You got to know that one. I'm sure if Deep I listened to it, I'd recognize it. Yeah. All right. It was a one-hit wonder. And some people call it, like, the last, like, hair metal song. Um, oh, okay. But it's more like a campfire song, right? Right. Um. They went on, they did nothing else in the US, but they went on to sell billions in Japan. That's and crazy. They had a song called Thank You Japan, just because <laughs> they were bigger, way bigger in Japan than they ever were in the States. Okay. Um, so. I will say this, but then you get that one band, Kimura, that sings, they're Japanese, but don't Kimuri. they sing in, yeah. uh, don't they sing in uh, English? Yeah. Or do they, yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's not broken English, but the way the guy screams it, you can't really understand what he's saying. Um, but yeah, they're awesome, Kamari. The only I, I may have heard a couple of songs here or there, but I always recognize them because uh, in one of the real big fi- no, uh, sorry, less than Jake videos, they got a bunch of their friends to basically like lip the. It was almost like a pre-COVID type thing where they got everyone to send in like clips of them singing their song, and they got the guys yeah. in Kamari doing like a little dance and everything. They're having a grand old time with it. Yeah, they had a um, CM Punk was in that too. Yeah, and uh, Chris Rhodes from the Boston's, Dickie was there, a bunch of pretty much the who's who of ska guys. Yeah, Fat anyway. Mike was there, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, in spite of their success in Japan and all this good press and some of the hardware they took home, Ted, what are your feelings on it? All right. Sh- now, I, I listened to the uh, maybe one day when I was on a walk. First of all, let me get down to the cover. Could you yeah. not come up with a more cliched? I knew you were going to bring the cover up. I knew it. If they took away that title, I would have thought it was Simple Plan. Like, it looks so big. It's big. Like, you know how you get that? um, It's big. It's big humor. They're jumping like a bunch of dinks on a bridge. A little bit. But, like, do you know how, like, you'll see this sometimes as a gift, a gif online. It'll be like, um, you know, Pop Punk Starter Kit. Um, You know, uh, Vans Shoes, Board Shorts. You know, uh, right? What's it called Hurley T-shirt, like that kind of thing. Yeah, that's kind of like pop punk band starter kit. 
goofy video where we're jumping in the air. Um, yeah. Sorry, goofy cover where we're jumping in the air. Or like, um, but there's, there's so many on this album, pop punk cliches that they copy. Like this album is so paint by numbers to the genre that it, it drove me crazy. And I listened <laughs> to it when I was on a walk and I took notes. I would stop on the walk for every song and take a note. So I'm going to breeze through this pretty quick. Brian, what's the name of the first song on Maybe One Day? Uh, it is um, it is Maybe One Day. Maybe one, okay. I like that song. I did we too. We started off on a good note. It's, yeah. it's poppy, yeah, but I liked how um, the lead singer's voice was gruffer than most pop punk singers, right? Not really yeah. whiny, which they mostly were. He wasn't doing some of those pop punk cliches. So I'm like, okay, I like it. Good start to the album. Right. Then we get into Standing All Alone. And I'm like, all right, love it whiny here. Uh, <laughs> honestly, could have been a boy band song. I wouldn't have been able to tell. You could have handed this off to NSYNC. Hell, they might have done a better job with it. Um, I also wrote No Need to Curse because he says fuck for like no reason. You fucked up. And I'm like, you know what? You're right. You can market this album to babies if you didn't say fuck. That's really <laughs> the only thing trying to make them seem punk rock. And now here come the quick notes. Track three, I wrote Sounds Like the Ataris. Track four, I wrote Very Simplistic Lyrics. Track five, <laughs> More Shit Songwriting. Track six, I wrote GSF by MXPX because it sounded like it. Yeah. Track seven, Almost to, Forgot to Make a Note for This Song because it sounds like everything else on the album. Track eight, <laughs> When the Music Started, I Thought I Might Actually Like This One. Then the lyrics kicked in. Shit. Track nine, <laughs> Better Than Some Other Stuff But Still Not Great. Track 10, can't tell if I like this song or if I'm just getting bored of hating on every single song. It gets a pity like. And then track 11, they tried to rhyme outside with inside. Nuff said, I've got to wait for a secret song now. Fuck them. And I turned off the album. <laughs> That's my thoughts on this. Put it this way. Put it this way. Um, the Moffats album. While we're not Moffat fans, at least they were. You could a forgive it because they were kids, but b at least they were like trying different things. Yeah, you know what I mean. At least the album didn't fall. I'll still into defend that ska song. That ska song was fun. Ah, sure. There you go, Brian. Play a little bit of it. We need to cut this up with a little music that's actually good, and we're talking about the Moffats <laughs> being actually good here. So, it compared to not by choice. Saying I love you, it's the hardest thing to do. And if I ever do, a girl I'll always be It was just, it was boring. Every song sounded the same. Every song was about a fucking relationship. Like, that's, that's the one fun thing about pop punk. Was at least, you know, you'd have some 41 who would write a song about old people falling down. <laughs> or Blink-182 would write a song about jacking off. Every song by these guys is about a relationship. They all sound like high school relationships where they look like they were 35 years old. Yeah. And uh, although I will say this, Chico may have looked like he was like 47 when he was probably like 27. <laughs> Mike, Mike didn't look that bad. I'd say he's a bit of a handsome fella back then. But uh, uh, I, I'm glad you brought up some 41. I mean, obviously, it's not hard to bring them up because they're both Ajax, and I already mentioned them earlier in the yeah. episode, but that's beside the point. Um, I was after after I the the Lincoln Alexander Parkway in Hamilton is closed all weekend for some reason, so I've had to put through the city to go buy these stogies that I'm smoking. 
And uh, so I literally, traffic was such a pain in the ass. I listened to the whole second album just on that uh, there and back. And so I was, uh, I needed a palate cleanser. So I actually put on some decent pop punk. Like I put on uh, My Friends Over You by Newfound Glory. I put on some Psalm 41 and I put on a little Good Charlotte. Um, and I was thinking about it. I'm like, what do those, I mean, maybe you could say they had better label support. Maybe those guys were just capable of writing a better pop song. Maybe it's musicianship. Maybe Benji's a better guitar player than Mike. I don't know. But or, uh, Derek Wibbley and co. I mean, Brown sounds a good guitar player. Dave. I forget his real name. But Dave well, and, and Steve was a great drummer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, okay, here, here's, here's what I think. Here's what I think. I honestly think they were just trying to churn out something fast. Yeah, well, I, I did mention they, they were signed in. Yeah, yeah, I did mention they were signed in what May and turned this thing up by September. So, I, I mean, think they were just like let if we write a pop, a catchy pop punk album, it'll it'll sell, and right. lyrics quality be damned, and that's what <laughs> happened. And it it it's it's you know, it turns into the exact reason why. Punk rock. I'm not trying to call punk rock songwriting genius. All right, yeah. a lot of it's really stupid and really dumb. Well, it depends on the type of punk rock. At least every punk rock band has dumb songs. Sure. Every even bad. One. Even bad religion has. Like, uh, the Clash are the greatest to ever do it, and they've got one of the worst albums in history. Cut the crap. Cut the crap. Yeah, like like every punk band has some throwaway shit. Yeah. Um, but this is just. Like, it just almost isn't even worth anyone's time, and it's like a half hour. Like that's the best thing I can say about it. it's 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 short. Yeah, yeah. I like really you know, think, I really think this is the worst album that we've covered. You know, it's funny. Like thinking about like comparing them to other bands. Like they try to write a a love song or a relationship song. You get standing all alone. Blink writes a, a relationship song and you get Josie, which is a great fucking song. Well, yeah. Because they're not taking themselves seriously. You know, yeah. and they're right. It, it's, but the lyrics were like, it was like, I love you. Yes, I do. I'll be true <laughs> to you. Like, it's like, so rudimentary. At first I thought you were doing a Barney thing. It's like, I love you. <laughs> you love me. But that's what I'm saying. Like, if it wasn't for them dropping the F-bomb, you could have marketed this album to babies. Yeah. It's that just unintelligent. Also, I want to cir- circle back for one second because I meant to ask you. We, gl- we glossed over it. That 15 Love Show, it was like a teen, teeny boffer kind of like uh, sitcom or something. Did your sister yeah. ever watch it? It was on YTV because she's younger no. than us. So. No, but I know okay. it was about tennis because I believe Trouble Charger did a song for them. And we covered okay. it in the Trouble Charger episode. Okay. Yeah. Because it did, I, I I know we've talked about that show before. But I, it was like I, a teen I, tennis show. We record the show, I edit the show, and then I forget what we talked about. <laughs> um. Anyways, all right. So moving ahead, it's I, we're both, anyway. We're both pretty much on the same page. I mean, I, there's a couple of songs that I were that you know like the it's it's cutesy and it's like very immature, but like I didn't mind the uh, what the hell was it called the. The first song, like you said, we was pretty good, and I, I didn't mind. Track, track. Yeah, 
I didn't mind the uh, make my day. It's it's very childish, but I don't know. It just it had a nice little upbeat thing that I kind of liked. But like I was kind of like bobbing along when I was driving today. It's not great by any chance, but it's like I could listen to it. And for the record, too, I know we went into this shitting on them a little bit. Yeah. I wanted to like this. Yeah. Like I don't go into this wanting to be disappointed. Yeah. I want to like the music that we go over. And I did. I really wanted to be like, hey, I'm sorry, not by choice. You guys were better than I remembered. Yeah. <sighs> but I'm sorry. They're as bad, if not worse, than I remember. Because <laughs> I only remember the one song and seeing them live the one time. Yeah. The, um, what was I going to say? Yeah, like we talked about, I forget what episode we did it in, but like, you know, we as we've gotten older, we've kind of both turned into kind of Kevin Smith types where like we want to like things. We don't get this like, you know, teenage angsty joy out of just taking a big steaming grumper on something. We actually, we've gone in to things, like even with the Moffats, we went in with honorable intentions. And I still think we're pretty soft on them, all things considered. Because uh, we were we were like Ebert in his later days as a film critic. He was still looking for stuff to like. You know what I mean? <laughs> but at least with the Moffats, we had some fun. Well, that and it's also, I mean, yeah, we did what, two and a half hours on the Moffats? <laughs> oh, yeah. There's lots to talk about, you know. Uh, but Jesus, this is, it's, it's, there are certain bands and artists that are called like trend chasers. Yeah. Like you remember SR seventy one? Oh yeah. There's a there's a slew of forgotten punk or pop punk bands that fell yeah. in the stew in the late nineties, early two thousands. So SR seventy one is a great example because unlike um not by choice, their lead singer was a great songwriter. And he's yeah. written some major pop hits since SR seventy one broke up. But like, their well, second album, because pop punk at that time was dying off. Um, they switched to full-blown Linkin Park ripoff. Really? Yeah, because they were just trying to find shit that would sell. They didn't care about the genre. They just wanted to sell records. And then That's the hilarious. final album that they did was Back to the Pop Punk Roots. But you'll get that. And I, I will say one thing, because I know we're not into the second record le- yet. I will give a tip of the head cap to not by choice that they didn't abandon the pop punk sound at least. Right. Yeah. They actually, you know what? They may suck at it, but at least they're still doing it. <laughs> so what are, uh, what are some singles or uh, some hits that the dude from SR 71 wrote? Oh, he's written. Um, did he do? Um, I have to remember off the top of my head from the Todd in the shadows episode I saw. But I believe he did um, Kelly Clarkson. This is my heartbreak song, and I'm gonna play okay. it. Um, he did uh, Jason Derulo. Girl, you're the I want to. Um, he's like, so he's almost like our answer to uh, Josh Ramsey. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. He's a little bit like Josh Ramsey. Like he's written some really good pop songs. He did a Heart Attack by Demi Lovato. Okay. Think I'll have a heart attack. That's one of her better songs. Or, or and, if, it was, uh, if it was Billy Joel, it'd be hard attack. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> oh, we can't all be Billy Joel, Brad. <laughs> all right, let's soldier on, get through the second one, uh, then we'll continue the nice dump fest in a few minutes. Um, so, after all that success, despite what Brian and Teddy think, what do you do for an encore? Well, they sign with Maple Music. Doesn't get more Canadian than that. 
uh, and they released Secondhand Opinions on October 26, 2004. It was produced by Murray Daigle, uh, who helped them produce that first EP. That was the nice door opener. And uh, Daigle has worked with Faber Drive, Serena Ryder, Keisha Shante. And uh, like uh, in his credits that I found online, I guess he just kind of like a general like hand to like certain labels they might bring him in on something so he's worked with a bunch of the big labels just kind of as the general production stuff uh so secondhand lions had one single days go by didn't seem to chart make any dents um they critics did not attempt uh, did not dig their attempt at a more mature sound that's what they (laughs) they uh self-described it as they thought they thought they were taking a step in the right direction uh the critics felt they lost all the hooks and also, before I ask you your thoughts, you know what's hilarious? So yeah. I was really, I was going on like online everywhere trying to find album reviews and stuff. Couldn't find anything because, you know, it was the early 2000s. A lot of that media press stuff had uh, probably not kept or wasn't digitized. Um, so I went on Amazon reviews and there's a bunch of fans like, not by choice. It's the greatest. I'm sick of these people shitting on them. You're all assholes. And so, oh, it's so funny. <laughs> um, hey, you know what? They didn't get to where they were without making some fans. fans. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <clears throat> you know, we can shit on them all we want, but they did something that I'm never going to do. Sure. I'm never going to have a music video on much music. I'm yeah. never going to do a, a concert again. I got to do one my entire life. Filling in for Kevin Andrews drummer. <laughs> was on Saturday. They even, because I filled in, they did a sublime cover for me, which I appreciated. And, yeah. I mean, uh, you, the closest uh, that's, that's all I've got. The closest you and I have ever also got is like we performed in front of people with our concert band at school. That's about it. But not yeah, not yeah. Not, any, not anything we, you know, would took the front and center on. So yeah. yeah, that's I wanted I was gonna save that more for the end, but you're right. It's uh we gotta tip the t- uh, tip of the toque, as the late great Dave Bookman would say to uh that. um to anyone who can actually, you know, A have the brass ones to get on stage put yourself out there to t- face that type of uh, scrutiny, like not by choice did. And they took it yeah. like champs. I will say at that Pennywise show, they, they, took did. It like they, they did handle themselves very well. And I don't want us to come off like those sports writers who've never, never played the game and go, you know, exactly. Uh, you know, Alejandro Kirk needs to lose some weight. He's not hustling out there. Well, it's like Bill, Bill Bird said it perfectly on Conan uh, where he's just like, He's like, I fucking hate those uh, those journalists who ambushed the guy at, the, at halftime. He's like, what are your thoughts on this? He's like, what do you think? I want I want us to score more points so I don't lose my job. He's like, did you even study journalism or uh, play sports at the uh, high school or collegiate level? No, you study journalism. Get out of there. Do you remember the coach of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers? It was a halftime thing that TSN did with him. And he got fined by the league. Because they're playing, I believe they're playing the tie cats. I could be wrong, but they're getting their asses kicked. And the person goes up to him. She goes, "Coach, what do you did? You, uh, 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 what do you think of your team's performance uh, in the first half? Did they play well?" He goes, "No." And she goes, "Well, what do you have to do to to match up with the tie cats in the second half?" I don't know. Goes, Thank you, coach. Thank you. And he like thanks her back and runs off. He got fined by the league for that. So Meanwhile, some of these guys are on like tight leashes you know they want them to be expressive yeah and stuff like that even if they're having just a miserable day although it's nowadays you watch you watch mlb.com midway through the game team could be losing 10 nothing 
Oh, we got the manager on the line, our coach, and he'll have to do a whole inning with the announcers. Yeah. Like, that's insane. I remember Tony La Russa just shutting Joe Buck down once in the World Series. Joe Buck's like, oh, there's something in Kenny Rogers' hand there. Uh, what is, was it pine tar? You had them washing off. He's like, I'm not going to talk to you about that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what do you think you should do here, Tony La Russa? I'm not going to talk to you about that either. <laughs> I mean, like, that coach got fined for that. Uh, And meanwhile, friggin' Tortorella could throw a hissy fit. Um, You know, the league is scared of Tortorella. (laughs) Find him and they're going to go, oh no, he's running down the street. He looks disgruntled. And (laughs) he's got that crazy look in his eyes. Sprint up every flight of steps, run into Bettman's office, and start throwing shit around. (laughs) <laughs> and like you know you get someone like uh what's his face um ah oh shit uh new england patriots the fuck's that dickhead check thank you fuck um meanwhile that guy can literally be like monosyllabic he's like we didn't play good we, we lost <laughs> like, thanks coach he gets away with being a freaking grump, and like this guy just says, "I don't know," and he gets fined. <laughs> he got fined by the league, yeah, because they they don't want code because they know if they don't do something, everyone's going to do that, or they're just going to yeah. shut up, shut down the interviews. And also, they make money off of TSN and their yeah. broadcasting deal. If they're treating the reporters like shit, TSN's going to say something or pull pull advertising. They don't want that. Well, I, I said this to Jake the other day, and Jake said apparently in one post game press conference uh someone actually asked an intelligent question and belichick actually went on like a three minute like actually in-depth answer and i i I will agree it's a bit of a two-way street the sports media needs needs to stop asking such asinine questions or such basic friggin dumb shit questions like what's the plan for saturday uh score more points you know better defense whatever the fuck what do you want obviously no we're gonna throw this game and rebuild next year, you freaking dumb. Well, dipshit. as a member of the media, let me speak up here for a second. When you're in a scrum, you want to ask a very broad question right away just to get the juices flowing. And it's, no, I, it's something I get that, that everyone can lean on and ask their questions off of that. You just want to get the guy talking. I get that for the scrum, but I'm talking about like the post game. Everyone's sitting there, you know. They got time to decompress, kind of relax. You know what I mean? It's a very they got more time. I'm not talking about the scrum where they're like, you know, they're ambushing them as they're leaving like an event or something like that. Okay. Uh, okay. I know you do more news and politics. I'm talking more yeah. sports only, but uh, I'm talking about times where they have some, you know, time to sit there and like. You know, line people up one time, one question at a time. You know what I mean? These people need to ask smarter questions. I do remember getting shut down by a coach once. Really? In uh, Dauphin, yeah, uh, the Dauphin's King, the Dauphin King's coach. Um, I had to interview him because their sports guy was away and he couldn't do it, and I wasn't following the team. Yeah. So I, I went on their website, got as like much information of that game as possible because they're not televised, right? Right. So I came up with a couple of hackney co- uh, questions, and I was like, "Well, you lost tonight. What's what's your what's your plan uh, going to next week's game against Winnipeg? Play better." <laughs> and I was like, "Can you elaborate on that?" 
here's what you got to do. You got to be like John C. McGinley in, uh, in any given Sunday. You got to be like, pull up the cigar and be like, listen, what's the strategy there, coach? And start like yeah. big time and I'm with the cigar. I do like uh, it when he's on the typewriter. He's talking about Beeman. He's got the cigar in his mouth. He's like, Welcome in the 21st century. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I can't even say it. I know. He's like, welcome to the 21st century or something like that. Yeah. He's All supposed right, to be so, Jim Rome, I think, on that too. Oh, yeah, 100%. Like, because uh, uh, when he's not doing the column, he's got the show that's clearly just like Jim Rome esque, where yeah. he's trying to be well, the I've never known Jim Rome to have a big stogie going during his. Uh, his that's true. Yeah. All right. So, uh, our little sports, uh, sports rant aside, Ted. Do you agree with the critics? Did they lost lose their hooks? If they ever even had hooks to begin with? Here's one for you now by choice. No, I don't agree with the critics. I really? think secondhand opinions was much better than maybe someday. I think it was a major upgrade. In fact, of the 12 songs, Brian, I liked five of them. Really? Actually, yeah. I'll agree with that, actually. There's a couple I liked. Yeah. So here's my here's how I go through track by track. And you can fill in the blanks of which tracks these are later. The okay. first four, I like the first four. I wrote first song, not bad, good energy. Put the warning in, though. Like I like the kicked off kickoff track of the last album. We know how that went. Second yeah. out, second song. More aggressive than the other uh, songs on the debut. Reminds me of the Ataris again, but in a good way, not in a bad way. Thumbs up. Yeah. Number three, this wasn't bad either. Songwriting is still extremely basic. Uh, but little more aggression like they're showing it can help um fourth song first song to remind me of the first album but i still liked it nice big chorus fourth song um and now here we go fifth song first bad song of the album really bad very whiny sixth song not feeling this one feels very simple plan seventh song it's okay i wait for them to take it up a notch why they won't do it it is way too long lost me after a while eighth song no acoustic guitars and a pop punk chorus this album is starting to lose me Number nine, yep, this album is really using, losing me. This track is Stinkaroo. Are you, oh, is he gone? You gone, Brian? Ted. Well, until Brian logs back on, it's the Ted Show. Oh, it's a Ted Show. There we go. It's a big, bad Ted, you back? Night, y'all. Hey, Brian's back. Okay. There we go. Yeah, I lost All you right, after, what, like, what the... Uh, around the fourth, so maybe just overlap well, with okay, the third. So fourth, fourth song I liked, then it got bad. The fifth song was terrible. The sixth song, <laughs> not very good either. The seventh song was way too long, took me right out of it. The eighth song, yeah. they did these acoustic guitars during the chorus, and I hated that. Uh, the ninth song, I just wrote, yep, this album is really starting to lose me. This track is Stinkaroo. <laughs> um, Tenth song sounds like every song on the first album. It's the best song since track four, but I'm still not feeling it. Um, track 11, I wrote 448. I am not looking forward to this song. <laughs> and then I wrote, not as bad as I prepare for. Still didn't wow me. And then the last song, though, I liked. I said, yeah. okay, five good songs in this album instead of four. Uh, it's way better than the first album. I still wouldn't recommend it to anybody. But, right. Uh, there's a there's a song on there called Tongue Tied. It's like the mid midway through. It kind of started with those kind of like those echoey drums, like that. Yeah. Uh, I I said that was very Hoobastank s. So if you're ripping off Hoobastank, there's a problem. But wow. uh, Easy right, crawl- Hoobastank. Crawling in the dark's a good song. <laughs> it's a great song. But yeah. uh, anyway, so uh, let's see where I leave off here. 
promotion seemed to dip off too. Uh, they did not chart anywhere. They did not tour outside Southern Ontario, except for a few sporadic dates. Uh, they were given the opening slot for Al- Avril Lavigne's 2005 summer tour in okay. Southern Ontario, but that this came like eight months after the album release. Uh, so it was just like people, people had moved on. Um, the, although they did still have to have a faithful following in Japan. Uh, it did get them a, a great deal of attention there. Still, they were able to do a week of touring on their own headlining in Japan. And then they, um, they did an opening band uh, slot for Simple Plan in their tour of Japan. So they basically played themselves for a week and then they hung around, met up with Simple Plan, opened for them. So the Japanese dig the not by choice. Uh, after I, I want to yeah. go to Japan one day and just wear yeah. a not by choice T-shirt and see what happens. Uh, yeah, it'd be so interesting to see what a Japanese record store looks like. Can you imagine yeah. if it's... Uh, can you imagine if it's all like just like a relic to our teenage years? Also, by the cool. way, I wanted to say this uh, just as a little throwback. So when I was stuck in traffic uh, listening to this album, just like going and it was like a nice summer day, uh, but it wasn't too hot and listening to the pop punk. It really made me feel like when we used to hang out in my backyard, listening to like oh, Goldfinger yeah. and stuff on the boombox after school. That's, it took me right back to that. Sitting back with a couple of Mountain Dews. You'd call it the sperm <laughs> killer. Do you remember that? Like, pass me a can of the sperm killer. <laughs> Classic. Did you know that Mountain Dew was the first pop to do the wide mouth can? Really? And now everybody does it, yeah. And they market it. Award the new wide mouth can. And Mountain Dew is the well, first. Well, it, it makes sense because uh, theirs is a lot less fizzy than all the others. So it's yeah. very easy. It's very easy to kill a can of Mountain Dew much quicker than anything else. Yeah. But uh, anyway, uh, so around this time, clearly the band was not in a great place. A.J. Bovard, the bassist, departed during uh, the summer of 2005. They took a break from touring, uh, but they tried to, you know, regroup, uh, get ready for a third album. But uh, it, it uh, I, I guess they just took a something in the recording process hit the skids and they decided to take an indefinite hiatus. And I said, uh, renowned psychologist BF Skinner has said, and I get this from the internet. So he may not have actually said this failure is not always a mistake. It is the, it may simply be the best one can do under the circumstances. The real mistake is to stop trying. And these gents did not stop trying in 2017. They reunited to play with their old pop, Punk Chum Simple Plan on the 15th anniversary of their album. No pads, no helmet, just balls. And in 2018, they played the Burlington Sound and Music Festival. Although I looked at that poster, they were like the first slot in the day. So clearly shows where they, <laughs> they, where, <laughs> where they fell on the hierarchy of uh, the Burlington Sound and Music Festival. Although I will say, oh, I will say that that has really attracted a lot of bigger bands these days so oh, yeah. i mean that's that's still not well, a bad thing the, the burlington sound of music festival even if you're the first band of the day like it's not like the hamilton festival of friends like the first band of the day would probably draw still a decent crowd at, yeah because people are there all day like this is a yeah. thing like 
it's like if you don't get in at a decent time, like good luck getting in later because it's a real pain in the ass. And that part of the city is shut down by like midday. Oh, yeah. So, oh, so I remember yeah. having to DJ at Beaver and Bulldog <laughs> on uh, Festival of Friends weekend, and it was great. Yeah, because I got to save all my bangers because it's a late <laughs> arriving crowd. And I remember too, it was weird. It was like overcast. So it's one of those days where it's like 10 o'clock at night or so like 930 at night, but it could have been two o'clock in the afternoon. You can't tell by the sky. Right. Right. And um, so set up my gear and everything like that. And it was dead. So I'm just kind of playing music for me, like background 80 stuff. Waiting for the crowd to trickle in, just playing some upbeat stuff. And then when they came, they all came at once. So then I just got to hit the freaking bangers for like a <laughs> night was over. And it was great. And the place was packed and uh, yeah, it worked out well. Well, that's good stuff. That's something else. <laughs> that's something else. Um, JK Rowling once said, it is impossible to live without failing at something unless you live so cautiously that you might as well not have lived at all. In which case you have failed by default. And I will say, for all the shit we give these guys, they definitely went for it. So you got to give them props for that. You really do. Just with the fact that, like, I know we shat on them tonight. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, they, they were probably trend chasers. They abandoned yep. the punk rock sound so they could make some money, right? But at the same time, like I said, I like the fact that they got back together. They have earned fans. The nostalgia scene is huge right now. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, it's not my choice. But for <laughs> the people whose choice it is, good for them. Yeah, like I uh, I watched the video a few times over the last couple of weeks uh, when we agreed to do this. So I watched the Standing All Alone music video. To do this. You pitched me on Not By Choice. Yes. Sorry. I, I sold you. <laughs> It was a hard sell, too. <laughs> well, I really wanted to talk about us seeing them live. So. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so I watched that video a couple of times while I was writing the script and this and that. And uh, I was I was watching the – or I was looking at the comment section on YouTube. And it was, like, a slew of kids. just like, greatest era of music, the early 2000s pop punk. Like, still goes down with one of my favorite bands, blah, blah, blah. And I was thinking, I'm like, these kids must have been, like – 13 or 12 when not by choice was popping off because yeah. like and anyone that was north of like 16 17 18 like we were at that time then they'd be like no no you are you are butt punk rock you are just like you are soft yeah. to quote craig craig robinson and this is the end you're soft as baby shit oh um, well, the great tag team enzo and cass you are <laughs> s-a-w-f-t soft <laughs> This is whole bit. Did you ever watch Tacoma FD? It's Steve Lemmy and uh, Kevin Heffernan from Super no, Troopers. No, I haven't seen that. No. Oh, it's so funny. It's basically Super Troopers, but they're firefighters. And since it's Tacoma, Washington, it's always raining, so they never fight any fires, or it's like oh, rare. Um, but there's always this bit that they do where they're just like, if they're touching something, it's like it's like, oh, it's soft. And they always do that really like thick accent. They're like, it's super soft. Anyway, but not by choice. It's soft. Um, <laughs> In, in in real life, they could have all gone to be cage fighters or something like that. Right? <laughs> yeah. The music stopped. Yeah, 
Um, so just a couple like post not by choice or while they're not playing together. Uh, Mike, the lead singer, works in Ottawa, lives in Ottawa as a real estate. And actually, the biggest surprise, the most interesting one, is uh, Liam, the drummer. He got a job with uh, Coalition Music, a talent management company. Uh, he worked with the Canada FM alums, the Tea Party, uh, the soon the soon to be defunct uh, USS Ubiquitous Synergy Seeker. They're I think they're like in the midst of like a farewell tour right now. Okay. Um, and the Proud Sons, which sound like a white nationalist movement, but they're, I laughed they're so hard when I, I saw that written. Down, that really <laughs> does. Yeah. You know, outside of the white sons, <laughs> the Proud Sons. The White Hot Suns. Um, uh, Liam is also a contract lecturer for Ryerson. Well, I don't know what it's called now. Toronto University or whatever the hell. The formerly Ryerson University. Uh, he's spoken at the at like conferences at the East Coast Music Awards, Canadian Music Week, North by Northeast, Breakout West, Manitoba Music, Aboriginal Music Week, Indie Music or Indie Week. Uh, sorry, Indie Week Toronto, Music Newfoundland, Music Yukon, basically all the provinces. Uh, music and film and motion, um, uh, music matters in Singapore, big sound in Australia, Travis, Travis Institute, Harris Institute, Queens University, York University. So this guy's in demand uh, as a speaker. Uh, I couldn't find anything about Chico. I creeped his Facebook. I guess I saw a picture of him with a woman and a baby and a child. So I assume he's married with a kid. So he's not living. That baby inherited his mom's looks. (laughs) I actually wrote uh, that but in the script as a, hey, Ted, tell this joke when we get to that point. Originally, before I creeped this Facebook, I, I wrote, I assume Chico's probably busting on the street living in some sad studio apartment. But uh, <laughs> so I decided to actually creep him to do his, my de- due diligence. And he looks like he's got a family. So he's all right. The way um, you saw it, not by choice, you told me some story about like Chico cutting his hand and he was bleeding all over the guitar. Yeah, it's probably from something when one of those dipshits threw something. It probably yeah. caught him. Or maybe because, you know, sometimes when you're uh, – well, you never played guitar, but your brother played bass. I don't know how frequently he chase, changes strings. But sometimes if you're with these guys, the amount that they probably played, they probably had to change their strings rather frequently. And sometimes it's uh, – the strings are always way too long than the guitar, so you got to, like, tie them off sometimes. But sometimes some guys will just let them – just kind of string hang wildly. So it's just these big metal spikes basically sticking out of your guitar. Oh, so wow. it is, he could have cut his finger on something like that, but yeah, I saw his finger bleeding. He kept having to like wipe it off on his pants. Um, so that is not by choice. Ted, final thoughts. Um, I mean, well, first I want to get that, you know, drummers don't have it easy either, even though I was never this good. Oh, I'm sure you saw in, uh, what's it called? Uh, Whiplash. Miles Teller's got that like terrible cut on his hands and he has ice down his hands and stuff like that. I remember when I was warming up for um, that show I did with uh, Kevin Andrews band and um, I just, I wanted to be good for them. So I practiced the whole night and I remember the next day it felt like, you know, when you go to the gym, if you haven't been in a long time and you're doing the weights, how just everything feels sore. Yeah. It was like that the next day and granted mild, mild injury but uh, I, I might have been pretty soft back then you know? <laughs> oh shit i mean one time i was over at chuck uh, our buddy chuck Waz's house there he's playing yeah. rock band and i was on the kit and even just like the act of like properly keeping the beat and actually drumming for the whole song this is a three minute song in rock band i was sweating by the end so i could, and i was soft 
Uh, so I can only imagine <laughs> what it's like sitting through a whole drum set. So yeah, drummers always have my respect. Yeah, it's not easy. Uh, so you know what, yeah, Chico, you got through that set, getting all kinds of crap thrown at you and having a bloody finger. Oh, Chico is the guitar player. The the Liam yeah. is the drummer. That's what I said. It was Chico? He the cut in his hand. Guitar oh player. yeah, I thought you were talking about uh, the drummer. I mean, oh no, 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 no. Um. So yeah. I mean, we I'd say we summed it up pretty nicely. These guys I went for so. it. You know, you can't uh, you can't fault them for trying. They had some success. They won some awards. They headlined shows. What more can you want? And uh, I will just, say for our for our first short stack episode, we're at an hour and 20 minutes. It hasn't been that short. <laughs> it's more the content that we're reviewing is short. But yes, uh, the, well, I th- the podcast itself is, is still not going to be short. We said in the Great Big C episode, which if you're listening to this by now has already dropped, I think we said at the end, we can turn like a 30-minute episode into like a two-hour epic if we wanted to with our tangents and our sidetracks, which we did. Which we totally um, did. But yeah, I will say this, because we always talk about, you know, why weren't they bigger? I mean, let's be honest. If you look at bands like Headley and other, and even Simple Plan, you know, if, if talent was the indicator of success... You know, those guys wouldn't be any bigger either because, I mean, I will say Pierre's a decent singer. What the hell are you drinking? <laughs> Ginger ale. Ginger ale. Ginger ale. Ginger ale. Ginger ale. I said that. Oh, it was funny. I said that to Bryn the other day. And I was just like, she's like, uh, she. I was making her a drink. And I was like, you want uh, Diet uh, Coke or do you want ginger ale? And she went ginger ale. And I went, ginger ale. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a reference to something like, yeah, a dream I had about me and Brian? <laughs> yeah, you should you should have just been like, hold on one second, let me call Brian. Me call me. <laughs> Hello? Ted, what's up? And you just go, ginger ale! And I'll be like, ginger ale! And you just hang up the phone. <laughs> it's like, that uh, was literally, if you're looking for more context on the dream I had, it was literally, literally me and Brian went to this restaurant, and whenever we go, we had this really sassy waitress. And in the dream, this is the whole dream. She asked us what we'd like to drink, and we asked it. We responded with ginger ale, just like that ginger ale. And she each brought us a six pack of ginger ale in my drink. So I was like, hey, you, you yell authoritative what kind of beverage you want, and uh, you get taken care of. So, you know, it's funny. I didn't even find the skit very funny. Like, you and your brother think it's hilarious, but every time I'm at work and I need to like punch something up real quick on a calculator, I'll pull it up the cal- <laughs> I'll pull up the calculator on my computer. I'll just be like, calculator. And I'm just like <laughs> laughing to myself like a psycho. And that was the SNL sketch with John Malkovich and uh, Fred Armisen, where they play these creepy looking twins on Christmas Eve. <laughs> and they're really excited and hopeful that their parents got them a calculator for Christmas. <laughs> but it's just, it's and... just John Malkovich. He's got that delivery, like the calculator. <laughs> it's also John Malkovich playing a child when he's like 75 <laughs> years old. <laughs> Yeah, but not back then. <laughs> I tell you, I saw John Malkovich uh, do a play in London when I was there. No, you never told me that. That's awesome. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was called uh, what was it called? Shredded wheat or something like that. It was basically like there. Uh, it was like a he was like a Harvey Weinstein type thing. It was like right in the Me Too. Oh, uh, wow. it was like yeah, it's 2019, kind of right in the the spike of Me Too yeah. and everything like that, and. Uh, yeah, it's just like uh, he, he did a really good job. It was very funny. It was actually it was David Mamet. It was David Mamet. Yeah. Holy shit! And it's funny because I was there by myself. I was just like, you know what? I'm in this London. You were in I, England. In England. Yeah, okay. yeah. I'm like, I'm in London. I've never been. I might never go back. 
I should see a play. And so there's a bunch of different plays there in the like the theater district. And there's all like there's a Harry Potter thing and there's all this stuff. And I'm like, you know what? Fuck that. And Jeremy, my buddy, had mentioned the, the Malkovich one. I was like, you know what? Yeah. I'm going to go. And I liked it. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, I love Malkovich. So, he was great in uh, Burn After Reading. Oh, he's he great, great in freaking uh, uh, Con Air. Con Air. Oh, he's the best part of Con Air. My dad and I watched Con Air a couple of years ago. I, was, I came over to visit, and I were sitting there, and Con Air was on TV. And every time John Malkovich said something, my dad just be sitting in the corner in his chair, like, <laughs> yeah, like, like, literally, like, I honestly didn't like the movie that much. I know a lot of people loved it, but like, it's great. oh, I didn't even tell you, we had a Con Air incident happen here in Thunder Bay. Really? So this plane crashes, and everyone on it dies. And it turned out that two of the guys who died in the crash were major drug dealers. The one Jeez. guy was a hitman, um, and he was wanted for killing a gangster in Thailand. And he was number two on Canada's most most, most wanted list. And the other two student, the other two people that died were like aviation students from some school out in British Columbia. So oh, we figured it's kind of ironic, actually. It's sad, but it's ironic. Paid these kids probably thousands of dollars to fly them out of the province, but they weren't experienced pilots, and the, the plane crashed. That's sad. Yeah, crazy it's really sad, but it was also like shit. It was like a plane full of villains, just like the movie, except for the two kids. But we don't know; they might have been bad guys. I don't know. That's true. But I'm not. I'm not mentioning any names. But uh, yeah, yeah sure. that that. That happened. That was crazy. So, uh, final thought. One last thing. Like I was saying before, we got on the calculated tangent. Um, so, like I was saying before, you know, if talent was the deserver of success, then a lot of these pop punk bands really don't deserve shit. So, but like, why do you think Not By Choice couldn't rise to the cream of the other mediocre pop punk bands that got a little bit more recognition? Was it a Canadian thing? Was it like some 41 kind of eclipsed them? They're like, we're not going to take two bands from Ajax. Fuck that. We'll take this one. Uh, no, I, I think I, it was timing. It was yeah, timing. Yeah, but they were, right in, they were right in the cream of everything. They were right in the well, heyday for, of for the, the first album. For the first album. That's why the first album, despite being um, the lesser of the two, was so much more successful. Okay. Um, they weren't good enough songwriters or good enough musicians. And I'm shitting on them again. But it's yeah. true to rise above what's trendy. Right. You know what I mean? They made it at a time where even lesser pop punk bands could have exploded. And especially in sure. Canada, maybe that can come. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so timing was on their side. And they just couldn't sustain it because they weren't very good. That's fair. Yeah, because I will say this, because, I mean, look at Sum 41. They reinvented themselves a few different times over yeah. the course of their albums. Um, you know, and some, that's why they made uh, it big in the States. That's why they had sustained success, you know. Yeah. Um, you look at another band like a um, – well, then you look at some of these other, like, pop punk bands that were much more pop than Sum 41 was, like right. a simple plan. You know why they blew up? Because they realized, oh – we're going to just drop the punk. We don't need the punk. Yeah. And they found success just playing pop music like Marianas Trench. Right. 
And also Josh Ramsey's a way better songwriter than any of those guys. And you know? singer, but yeah. Um, yeah. And all, the, all those U.S. bands did it too. Like, good Charlotte's dropped the punk ages ago. And, although, know, I don't know like, to, Lori, but. to be perfectly honest, like, I was listening, like, I, I in high school, in the heyday of us being punk snobs, I actually got that first good Charlotte album, the one with <laughs> Little Things, uh, for my birthday one year. And, like, I even said this back then, I'm like, good Charlotte has never really been posers. Like, yeah, Benji, you know, oh, got a, a shit. Bit. They were posers. I mean, like, like I they were from the hard streets of Baltimore, and I know where they grew up wasn't a great situation, but no, no. But what I'm girls like boys, girls like cars and money, and they're wearing eyeshadow, and they've got their bandanas underneath their trucker hats. Okay, hold they're on. Let me finish. Metal, the heavy metal denim vest covered in patches. Okay, um, let me let me finish. Let me finish. Okay, okay. That like musically. I wouldn't call them posers because I saw early interviews with Joel Madden and he's like, you know, he's like, we're defined as a punk band, but I think we're just like a rock band. Like they, they were never the ones that kind of tried to thrust the punk pop, pop, pop punk label on themselves. Like other people did. I think yeah. they were, I think early on they maybe got into that crest and so people threw it on them, but they, they never tried. Like they tried to be with their look and yet yeah, Benji and Joel have a bunch of tattoos and, Right, the the denim and well, all that shit. The one guitar but, player had like the super emo look too. Yeah, um, but I'd say like musically, I don't think they ever tried to force punk on any. I think they actually right from the jump, right, were just like a rock band that just got saddled. So I always they kind of like had the respect in my books on that. But uh, a lot of other people really had a case of the tryhards. Okay, you know what? Let me give Good Charlotte two seconds of support here. All right. I liked um, the video for Girls and Boys. Didn't like the song. Fair enough. I liked, uh, but for the first album, I liked the DC anthem. Oh, East Coast anthem, yeah. East Coast anthem, and I like not the this is the anthem. Throw the one that was like walking down the streets of DC. Yeah, yeah. I was listening to that and, today, actually. And I liked um, the undergrad theme song. Yeah. Although, do you know what's funny about? We've got good memories of undergrads. Sure. Uh, do you know what's funny? Hour long rant about one undergrads, but no, uh, I'll just <laughs> we'll end it in a second. I just thought it was funny that the East Coast anthem, like the the whole crux of that song, is like East Coast where I live, like ride or die East Coast. Like both of those friggin' dinks. One like the one's out in Australia, and the other one lives in California. Like they're not returning back to Baltimore anytime soon. No fucking way. Yeah. Maybe on a holiday. Well, they That's about it. They're from DC. Well, yeah, it's like Waldorf, Maryland is where they're from. I looked it yeah, up. Yeah, because they used to always wear like Orioles gear and stuff like that, which actually I'll give them credit there. While you could have been from Kansas, those Yankee hats were popular at the time. Those guys would always rock, rock Oriole gear. So I'll give them That's true. And I think they both have Orioles tattoos. I think they both have O's yeah. somewhere on their body. So I respect that. Yeah. yeah, so I'll give them that. Yeah. All right. So that was our, uh, our dig in the time capsule of the early 2000s pop punk scene. Them and Gob were Canada's real and some 41, but they're too big for this show. So uh we're Canada's answer to the pop punk wave. And we'll Actually, cover more. We'll cover oh, more. Yeah. We'll cover more during these short stacks. And this is what it's all about. Yeah. Um I'll also say like the next episode, hopefully it'll be ready. Um, is Biff Naked. Biff Naked's coming up. That is six albums I gotta get through. We're gonna try to do it all in one episode. Um, but hopefully I'll have time to write next week. If I don't write it, Brian, can we declare a short stack? uh to commit to 
on this episode. So it's either going to be so, Diff Naked or it's going to be a short stack. What, do you, what would be the next short stack? I'll tell you what. Since you gave me this, I'll give you your live on release. How's that sound? Uh, can I pivot? All right. Because my brother texted me with a suggestion. Okay. Uh, Sky. Yeah, they only had a couple albums, right? They only had like two albums. All right. It's kind of a sad story about them, too. Really? Uh, I believe there's some death. Oh, shit. Yeah. Well, I'll have yeah, to. I, mean, uh, I, I know you used to, used to really like Sky back in the day, so. Although I never bought the album. I think I wanted to, and then I just, like, something was always holding me up. I think I was worried about people yeah, teasing me. But, uh, you know what? Some Kind of Wonderful is a great song. It is. And so is Love hey, Song. Uh, can that play us out instead of uh, Classified this week? Get those horns Some Kind going? of Wonderful? Yeah. yeah. All right. All right. Yeah, all right. Let's hear it. <laughs> all right. Till till next time, I'm Brian. Yeah, boo Teddy supposed to say, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Take us out, Sky. There we go. Oh, my baby, she's some kind of wonderful to me.